Hello and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host and I am joined as always by Mark LaRocco. Mark, welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. Thank you. It has been a couple weeks again. We've uh, been dogging it a little bit lately, Mm -hmm. I'll admit. Um, I guess we're into October, so we probably can't use the end of summer, early fall excuse for too much longer. Um, So we're just... We're just going to have to do better and work harder. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, we um, we have so many other things going on. Like, I, you know, sometimes we just true. don't don't do the podcast. But it's nice that we can meet and start late and record late. I I don't know if you remember when we first when I first joined the podcast, we'd sometimes start at eight or eight thirty, and then it slowly morphed mm-hmm. into later. Not I don't know if the listeners need really care, <laughs> but it became to where we generally start at nine thirty p.m. Which helped. Yeah, that a is. Lot, so. Well, and I don't. I don't know if that provides any insight as to the the tone, the the pacing, the style <laughs> of the podcast. To know that it's a couple of middle aged guys at about you know nine thirty ten o'clock at night chatting about movies. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it would be a dramatically different different product if we were to record at eight a.m. It could be. And. Yeah. And I don't know if I really want to find out well, it's because I'm not a morning person. It's interesting when you say middle-aged because it makes me feel really old. And I've been really interested in the generations <laughs> all of a sudden. Like I've been looking into like, you know, I'm part of Generation X and there's millennials uh, and Gen Zers. And now there's this new one called Alpha Generation, which my kids are in apparently, all, all wow. my four youngest. And I, um, but like, Middle ages to me, I always think of that as older than I am. But I guess if you're looking at longevity charts of like uh-huh. American males, I guess yeah. technically I'm middle aged. I'm about halfway through, right? You know, the average age for someone in my demographic. So I'm middle aged. And you've you've well, pegged me. I I, I have <laughs> I have and and funny enough, I I have also been kind of thinking about the generation thing. Maybe maybe it's just because of what I've been seeing coming up on my my Facebook feeds mm-hmm. and, you know, on, on my YouTube, whatever the, the YouTube algorithm is trying to dictate to me, but I, it's taken a long, long time, but I think I have finally decided to embrace my membership in generation X That's so because I, yeah. I pushed back for a long time. It's funny that you say that. Cause I just joined seriously within the last two weeks. Maybe this is also, you know, reveals my, my age. I just joined a Gen X group on Facebook. Facebook. Did you? Yeah. So I, I've been, I, these algorithms on social media are just so pinpoint. They're so targeted because I, yeah. on both Instagram and Facebook, I get a lot of things that just really relate to me, like really speak to me. And part of it is some things that are kids from the nineties, you know, or kids there, there was right. one that said kids born in the seventies, grew up in the eighties, you know, and then all this generation X memes or clips from you know movies or shows or commercials and it's hard for me not to get you know go down that rabbit hole so yeah sure sure well and kind of on a on a related note you know you you mentioned the idea that when you think about what middle-aged is well that's people who are older than me (laughs) and and i for a long time felt and thought and still to a degree think that people who are older than me are generation X because one of the reasons I, I pushed back on, on that, you know, 
that uh, category for so long is because it, it never felt like I was old enough to be part of that group. Um, and, and, you know, to, uh, put a, put a relevant movie spin on this. Do you, did you ever see reality bites? Um, do you remember that one? I don't think I've seen that. I know the movie that Ethan Hawke went on. Yeah. Writer movie. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And Ben Stiller, mm-hmm. early nineties, Ben Stiller is kind of like the straight laced kind of, kind of, uh, yuppie guy. And Ethan Hawke is kind of the, the burnout. He's, he's kind of like the grunge guy who, you know, lives in the coffee shops and plays in a band. And, mm-hmm. and, and, well, I think the funny thing about it was that Winona Ryder's character was supposedly a Harvard graduate, but could only get a job in a coffee shop or something crazy like that. Okay. And, and I remember at the time watching it and just thinking, ah, this movie is so miserable and doesn't make any sense because they, they tried it to, it's, it's a, it's a love triangle and they try to make it out like Ethan Hawke is the, the real best match for Winona Ryder, even though Ben Stiller's like this really good guy. And it just, the only thing wrong with him is that he, he has a job, he has a career, he's kind of and stable. He, he probably has glasses. Just kidding. I don't, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, he's yeah. just not, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's just not cool. Well, and yeah, and he's, he's, I think they're trying to present him in, in, modern terms is inauthentic Hmm. and uh any anyway that was what i saw as generation x and i thought well you know those guys are all like five ten years older than me so i can't be generation x but anyway just as as time has gone on and and as i guess as i found myself caught between the uh the clash of the the millennials and the boomers i i've found a little more more of a comfortable home in my with my Gen X roots. Um, well, anyway. well, speaking of reality bites, I've just looked up because I was saying that I was approaching middle age, maybe, but according to the official okay. longevity statistics. Oh no, no, no! Don't don't get official with me. Okay, well, I I'm past it. I'm I'm looking. I looked at American oh. males, Utah American males. Like I'm past the the average one half of the average American male lifespan. So yeah, I think middle age is fair, as much as I hate to admit it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that well, I'm well past like the halfway point of the average lifespan, mm-hmm. I would think, unfortunately. Um, I mean, look, I going to say something kind of mean. <laughs> we got a lot of life left, right? It's not like we're going to die in the middle of this podcast. We do. I mean, but our, but our <laughs> listeners might, if we don't move on. Okay, so maybe, maybe we should come up with something different. Hey, did I, did I, uh, did I tell you that I went to Fanex? This is relevant. This yeah. is this is news. This is Utah Film Pod appropriate and specific. I I went to one day. In fact, maybe you could say it was a half day because I had about six hours in me tops, and that's what I put in. Hmm. I went. Uh, I, I got a Friday day pass. Have you ever been to Fanex ne- or Comic Con or any of these? I've never been, but I'm kind of interested. I've never done it. I know people who have my brother in law, but tell me who who did you meet? Like, it is. It is. Definitely an experience I would recommend. Probably not the kind of thing that I would want to do every single year, um, just to kind of keep it fresh and interesting. Um, because a lot of it is kind of lots of local fans walking around dressed up in costumes, which is kind of fun. You know, especially I mean, one of the big reasons I go is to take pictures, and so it's kind of a fun environment to go and get pictures of all the people with creative costumes and stuff. 
Um, but as you, as you said, I did actually, uh, I, I wanted to go meet a few people. This was the 10th anniversary of the uh, convention. And so I get the sense that they really went all out with the people they invited. So um, I went, I met Christopher Lloyd, uh, Doc Brown himself. Uh, might also know from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and he was in Star Trek Three. Did you know he was? That you? Yeah. Excuse me. Did you know that Christopher Lloyd was in Star Trek Three? No, I did not know that. Yep, he plays the main Klingon bad guy, Krug. Krug. He was in Taxi. He was in an awesome movie called The Dream Team. He's been a lot of stuff. I thought he would be worth going to meet. So I went and I met Christopher Lloyd. Um, I mean, that's, he's always Doc Brown to me, but I, I, oh, I yeah. remember him yeah. in like One Floor with Cuckoo's Nest. And yeah, he was in Taxi. He's been in a, he's been sort of a good character actor in a lot of things. He um, has. But he's like in his 80s, right? Or maybe he's, he's getting. He's up around so there somewhere. Yeah. He, he looked like he was in pretty good shape, like he yeah. looked pretty in good spirits. And, you know, it was it was nice. Um, Tom Wilson, who played Biff in the Back to the Future trilogy, I went and met him, and he was a lot of fun to talk to. Um, a lot of these guys, they, they seem to really go out of their way to be accommodating. And, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time to talk because of, there's a line and there's people behind you and stuff. But um, he was really nice. And I went and I met uh, uh, William Zabka, uh, the Johnny Lawrence yeah, from, from Karate Kid, Karate Kid, and Cobra Kai. Uh, he was a lot of fun, and I went to see Joel McHale from Community. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one. That one was especially fun because I had I had wanted to tell him that during the run of the show, I was teaching at a community college. And so I, so I said, Hey, I just, just wanted to let you know that, you know, while, while community was on the air, I was actually teaching at a community college and he looks at me and he just goes, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was fun. That was fun. That's I, cool. I kinda, you know, and he was, he's, he's a really nice guy. Really, really very friendly. Um, he seems really yeah. cool. Like he comes across as this sort of, I, I don't know, like the characters he plays are often not the best, you know? Um, they're they're interesting, but sort of sarcastic or, you know, better than yeah. everybody else kind. But I, I've heard he's a good guy. I think he's been married for a long time, too, if I remember right. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, I haven't heard anything about that. But he, like I said, most, I mean, the, the people that I interacted with um, all seem to be just very, very gracious, very, very friendly and, you know, happy to be there. And, you know, I mean... I, like I wouldn't expect somebody to go to an event like that and behave badly. Yeah. But, uh, but it was, but it was nice because one thing I was kind of hesitant about was, you know, I, I've, I've had the chance to do some interviews with, uh, you know, with actors and directors and stuff like that. And so I would much rather have the chance to kind of sit down and have an extended conversation. But in this case, you know, it's kind of a, you know, there's a little bit of an assembly line vibe where everybody's kind of in line and y'all have, you know, maybe you want to get a selfie with him or you want to take, get, get him sign a picture or something. And so, you know, that you don't have a lot of time to interact, Yeah. but even, even though that was the case, there was still, uh, you know, some consideration and, and they, they wanted you to know that they appreciated you being there. So mm -hmm. it was cool. It's cool. Um, I don't know if I'd go back 
next year, just because, like I said, unless it depended on who was coming. Um, but it's the kind of thing that, you know, certainly from a photography standpoint, you know, if I think if I went every year, I'd get a little burned out. Yeah. But, uh, but this was, this was a good one to attend. So I think, uh, I'd, I'd recommend it to you. If you, if you've never had that kind of experience at all, I think you should at least go once. Did, is it every year, like in September? Yeah. Pretty normal. Yeah. So I, uh-huh. I have a question. Maybe this is just a misconception I had. I, I know there was originally Comic-Con, right? And there was the lawsuit, right. which basically led to mm-hmm. Fanex. So we don't have Comic-Con anymore in in Utah. Is uh, that correct? But but I... Well, or it, so, yeah. What, what happened was when they first started, like I say, about 10 years ago, they just called it the Salt Lake Comic-Con. And there was no affiliation with like the main san diego event but they still called it comic-con and that's where they got in trouble because the san diego people and and i don't think salt lake was the only one doing it. i think there were actually several that were just kind of you know appropriating the name and 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 so it was so successful here that after a little while they decided to launch a second event so like the comic-con would be in the fall and then i think in spring that's when they started Fanex, like they called that one Fanex. And so there were two events for a little while. I, I think it was only, you know, like a couple of years maybe. And then as the lawsuit uh, moved forward, eventually the whole thing was just consolidated into a single event in the fall. And that's what Fanex is now. So it, it just kept the Fanex term, even though for a while Fanex was a, a separate event in the spring. Okay. Well, what, yeah. what I had thought is that it was really meant for. Uh, maybe this gets into the our topic a little bit, but like sci-fi or franchise or comic book, uh, not just like regular like TV dramas or things mm-hmm. like that. I I, had, I thought it was like fans of Star Trek or Star Wars or you know yeah. Battlestar Galactica or even like you know in the newer years Marvel. And yeah. um, but then when I hear that there's people like I you know like Joel McHale or William Zabka or people that aren't in sci-fi property yeah i guess it's just expanded to any celebrity right anyone who's in a tv or movie uh, uh tv yes show or and movie. no um i i definitely agree that it doesn't have to be science fiction specific uh-huh. but it there's definitely a feel for cult fandom Okay. If that's a fair Maybe way, that's I mean, a better way to work. Because even like, yeah, like Lord of the Rings isn't sci-fi, but there's, you know, well, but but fantasy, yeah. science fiction. I mean, anything you could really kind of gather under what you know, I would just loosely consider nerddom or geekdom or or anything that kind of feels like, you know, it it branches off of the Trekkie, yeah. right? Or the hardcore Star Wars fans, the comic book kind of stuff. And and even though it's not a sci-fi or a fantasy or anything, community is absolutely kind of a, a cult hit. Uh, Wayne Wayne Knight from Seinfeld was there, um, which, you know, also kind of makes sense. And Cobra Kai, you know, is kind of this, this cult favorite streaming series on Netflix. Um, so... I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect, I, I wouldn't expect them to bring in the cast of Downton Abbey next year. Hmm. Um, but 
it does seem like it's not just limited to something that has a lot of special effects or, you know, and, and even, even at that, one of the things I've always noticed with this kind of stuff is that, you know, I, I walk around and I see like literally thousands of people walking around. There's, there are tons of people at these things. And I probably only recognize maybe about one out of three costumes that, you know, when, when somebody's dressed up and, and it's not because the costumes aren't very good. Um, it's because so much of this, this fandom comes from, from anime and from kind of gamer culture and, uh, you know, comic, obviously comic book culture. And so there are a lot of characters that I just, I don't even have a clue because those, those are areas that I just don't have a background in. I had a very, very loose understanding of kind of some of the main kind of gamer series, but, you know, especially with, with anime and some of that other stuff, it's, it's really very, very vast. Um, hmm. But, uh, but, you know, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll do it. I'll go one of these times. Okay. I wasn't trying to get a commitment. No, I'm, I, just, I'm curious. I'm, just I'm really curious there. about it. I, I think it'd be interesting to see some of those people. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 definitely a worthwhile experience to have, just a kind of an interesting cultural experience. Um, yeah, so uh, want to talk about a movie? Yeah, we got a, we got a movie to talk about, um, and and it's a pretty good one, I think. Um, I think. Well, I think we have some mixed feelings, but we'll get into that. So, speaking of sci-fi, fantasy, technology, and uh, all that kind of fun stuff, the creator has just come out. Um, which was directed by Gareth Edwards, mm -hmm. uh, who people might remember from Rogue One. So the creator takes place about 50 years from now, and it's in the middle of a war between humans and these AI robots called simulants. And the humans are basically in America. And what happened is there was a, a nuclear weapon that was set off in Los Angeles, and the simulants were blamed. And so now all the simulants are hiding out in what's called New Asia. And so it's kind of America versus New Asia. And the main protagonist is a guy named Joshua, played by uh, John David Washington. And he is trying to infiltrate the simulants. And basically he has, he's trying to find the the creator he's trying to find the person who is responsible for creating this artificial intelligence with the idea that you know the, the american military needs to take him out and save the world and so i mean that's a really really simple way of putting it isn't it yeah Gosh. it's fine i mean it's it's uh they name it nirmada i think they keep using that's that right. name for the a that i don't know i sort of call it the head ai i don't know exactly yeah what it is but yeah he, he's also sort of living a double he's in he's embedded in there and he's right uh in, he's undercover he's undercover but then he, he you know he's he falls in love and this is you find this out like near the beginning of the movie right he falls in love and right. has a girlfriend who's pregnant but then uh you know tragedy strikes and so years later he's sort of pulled back into this a mm -hmm. mission you know as an ex special forces kind of agent to, kind of guy <laughs> yeah i don't know exactly but something like that where he was a real smart military guy and um has to go back over to to new asia and find find nirmada but he sort of has this 
double motive, this yeah. other motive well, for doing it. But yeah. that's but that's the motive that they give him is they say, yeah. Oh, by the way, your ex or your your supposedly that's deceased true. wife might not be deceased. You're right. And so that's really You're how right. they get him to go back. His wife has been deceased and then when he finds out that she might be alive, that's sort of the motivation for him to to risk life and limb, yeah. which he's already risked limb. Right. Uh, but yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so so in the process he finds this quote unquote kid, right? And so he's he's tasked with finding this AI super weapon mm-hmm. that turns out to be a simulant that is the size of a child. Right. Um, and conveniently, I don't know. So th- this is one of my main problems with this. Yeah. It's very predictable. Here's what I kind of what I thought about it. Starting with the positive, I loved the visuals of this movie. Right. I thought that. I mean, the, some of the AI, the robots, AI simulants, whatever you call them, they're, call them, they're so creepily good and realistic. Mm-hmm. And you actually, and, and this happens a lot in these movies, right? Where some of the humans are monsters, they're inhuman to, to each other and to, to robots. And some of the robots are, are loving and kind and whatever you want to call them. You know, you're supposed to identify with them and sympathize with them. But in this movie, there's a few that you really do. And I, I remember there's a few scenes early on in the movie where a bunch of AI robots are sort of being crushed or, or obliterated all at once. And they're, they're, they're all moving like humans and they're sort of almost crying out. And it's kind of sad mm-hmm. to see. It's like, Oh, well, I mean, am I supposed to feel bad for them? They're not real, but they're, why yeah. are we doing this to them? You know, like, um, and this movie does that well. And one of the things that it does is some of these simulants have these human faces. Like for example, this little girl who is this really powerful AI and some just look like robots, um, but they can act act like humans. But if yeah. when they look like humans, we identify with them more. We imbue them with a, a human-like personality or even soul or spirit that, of course, they don't really have, but sometimes it's hard to tell. And I did like the touch of, uh, of John David Washington's character, Joshua, being an amputee, because then he's not quite... I mean, there's lots of different types, right? And, and it's like he's... Yeah. he's um, you know, he's well. They try it. They try to make it out like it's a spectrum, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's not. It's not one thing versus another thing. Right. It's just to to one degree or another, mm-hmm. you are automated, right? And and so it's trying to blur those lines, yeah. Which I think kind of works and kind of doesn't work. I there was an anti-American you know? sentiment and sort of anti-Western feel, uh, you know, yes. sentiment in the movie that I didn't didn't really love, but then. I, I think some of the battle scenes were really cool, really, really well done. And um, I thought it was interesting. And I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but with it taking place in, in quote unquote, new Asia mm-hmm. and a lot of these, you know, these American forces going over there, almost feeling like an unnecessary occupying force. It felt like Vietnam. Yeah. It felt like a Vietnam. Oh movie, yeah. Right. No, that's, that is one of the things that, I thought was a little too on the nose. Okay. Um, because not only, not only are the simulants living in New Asia, but they are living among regular human Asian villagers. Right. And I mean, they the and the the people the the human beings living in in New Asia look like they were cast right out of yeah platoon. Right. And, you know, and they and, and they're. Yeah, and they're with the AI. They're not like opposed to to the AI yeah. for the most part. Yeah, they are, right. they are they are giving safe harbor yeah. to to the AI to the simulants. Yeah. 
And, and I don't know, I don't know if it's because, I mean, I've been watching, I, I kind of got onto a kick where I was watching a lot of apocalypse now documentaries and YouTube videos. Yeah. And I just, I just rewatched the deer hunter uh, last week. And, and so maybe I've got it on the brain, but I think even without having it on the brain, the, the, the Vietnam illusions are so, so obvious. And, you know, even, even to the point where, you know, I remember hearing characters yelling out, the Americans are coming, the American, you know, and so it's, I don't know. I, to me, it seemed a bit too much. Mm-hmm. And, and there were other flaws with the story. Like my, my chief complaint with the story like I said before, is that it's too predictable. Yeah, there are there are elements, and you know, won't get into them here, but it's very very obvious where things are going. And so when things are kind of presented as a reveal or even a twist, it's kind of it falls flat for me. Yeah. Um, I I like you said, I loved the visuals. I thought, you know, I I wouldn't go so far as to call this a turn off your brain movie where you just kind of go along with it, enjoy the spectacle, but the spectacle is really fantastic. And I think that I would still recommend it based on that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a dumb movie. It's, it's not, it's not a brainless movie, but I, I wasn't crazy about the story and I especially felt like the third act was kind of a mess. Kind of rushed. There were, there were things, yeah, there were, there were, there were sequences that felt like they they just needed to Check accelerate boxes. the story forward yeah. without giving you any any feel for how things are happening, even though other areas of the story of the movie were a lot slower. Anyway, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of coming down at like three stars out of four overall, mm-hmm. um, mostly on the strength of the, of the idea that they really created a cool world, a really, really engaging and visually stimulating, like the, you know, the, the American, there's kind of like this, it's not a space station because it's still within the atmosphere, but it looks like a space station. It's Mm -hmm. this, uh, this really, really cool looking kind of ship that, that just kind of hovers off the coast and tracks down, you know, enemy encampments and stuff like that. And it just, it looks so darn cool. Yeah. I love the sort of light beams that are sort of scanning, scanning light beams that you see from really the beginning of the movie that are just always scanning the sea and and the land to, to look for the, and it's just so it's, it is really cool. I mean, so I kind of felt the same way. I mean, I either thought they could have, they could have used a really a better script, like, like, have it make more sense, but make it more, just more interesting and maybe less predictable. And another thing that could have happened is maybe it could have been a mini series because there were so many boxes they seemed to yeah. want to check near the end, places characters had to go, kind of, that right. it was rushed, that maybe it could have been a, either a, a, a longer movie or a series on, you know, a streaming series or something. Um, but it was kind of interesting. So I last, just in the last few days, I rewatched The Batman because it came on Prime. Okay, the and Pattinson one. The the one that came out a year, like a year like, ago. Like the Batman. The Batman, right. yeah. And just gotcha. by pure coincidence, I didn't know this until I watched the Batman. I found out that it was the same cinematographer, Greg Frazier, of the creator. Okay. And oh, okay. And I remember reading Roger Deakins, who's considered the one of the best three or four or five cinematographers of all time, saying that the Batman. Um, was the best cinematography of 2022. He said it was overlooked because superhero movies often are. It should have won the Oscar. It wasn't even nominated. And it really was a cool 
just moody, atmospheric, kind of gritty cinematography that was done in that movie. I, I, I was rewatching the scene even when near the end when Batman is, he, he, he holds a flare and he's like directing a bunch of people, sort of saving a bunch of people in the flood and it has this overhead shot for a really long time. And all you basically see is red and then just sort of the light around and then the black the blackness. And it's so cool looking. And the creator has some really great shots. Um, yeah. Like I seeing an IMAX was awesome. Uh, and so, yeah, it's weird how, how, how cool it is to look at. But then when you really like, open the hood there's just not as much there as there could have been and then there's the right. sort of i've heard it described as a lone lone wolf and cub story where you have a you know you have a protagonist well i don't it's funny i say protagonist because that's what this this actor is called in tenet you know john david Washington. i know i was thinking this same you don't even thing. get the name it's but, so funny that <laughs> yeah but anyway that him whatever his name <laughs> at is, least here he has joshua a right name. yeah and then right. he has a, a lone uh he has his this little AI girl, you know, I, I remember her name, but we'll call her, but you know, that he's sort of taking care of. And a lot of the movie just revolves around their, their journey and their kind of yeah. budding relationship. Um, and so there's certain, you know, it, there's, there's other movies that were, uh, that were sort of recalled in my mind, like Blade Runner, for example, even like Paper Moon in an odd way, you uh -huh. know, just movies like, or a father has to protect a child or a daughter, you know, like The Road, another sort of sci-fi movie. I haven't seen Logan. That's one of my blind no. spots. Um, but anyway, I so yeah, I for me, I like to do the five. I always want to do five stars because I'm like, it gives me a little bit more wiggle room with the halves, but I would give it three and a half. Yeah. I, I think three and a half out of five is fair. And also, whenever a movie is original, I almost always give it an automatic half star because I try to like support yeah. those kind of things. Well, and, and that's one of the things that I think stood out to both of us is that it's, it's refreshing to see a movie, especially one with this kind of budget and effects, right? Cause I mean, there are, there's still plenty of yeah. kind of lower budget indie movies out there, but, but this is, this is a real production. It is. I mean, there's a, there was a lot that went into this and you know what? It's, it's not a sequel. It's not a reboot. It's not a remake. It's, you know, yeah. this is an original, this is an original sci-fi movie and we don't get to see as many of those yeah. as uh, cer certainly not at this scale. And, and I'm kind of impressed that it was 80 million, which I know sounds like a ton, but for nowadays compared to big budget blockbusters, yeah. that's not a lot, especially for a, a world building original sci-fi epic. Yeah, maybe not quite epic. Yeah, but, you know, it's that's a, that's some chapters. bargain basement money there. <laughs> yeah, and part of it maybe has to do with the fact that there aren't any huge name stars in it. You know, like uh -huh. twenty five million a picture type stars, I guess. So sure. that helped. Um, but yeah, I I I like it when you when you see an original movie. It's you know, it's like, hey, let's try something new, and I, I got to give them credit, and and I really wanted it to like it too. And I wanted it to do well. And I remember I went home and I yeah. told my wife, cause we saw it a couple of weeks ago, like in a pretty advanced screening. And I, yeah, I, I said, you know, I said, I, the certain things, you know, I liked about it, certain things I didn't. And I said, I don't think it's going to do very well. I almost felt like apologetic. I was like, my prediction is it's not going to really find a big audience and it, you know, cost 80 million to make. And I don't think that counts marketing or anything. I think it was just 80 million. Yeah. So well. yeah. You know, they have they have a they have a lot lower threshold to get to than than all these other well like Indiana Jones movies. or Mission Impossible oh, yeah. yeah you're right yeah yeah I mean they're not they're this one 
even if this one doesn't do well, it's not going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, unfortunately, there are a few movies I think that can that can claim that this year. Um, but yeah, so so thinking about this and watching it, I I kind of started thinking about well, what what other kind of big sci-fi standalone movies are there? Because so many, especially of my favorites, and probably a lot of your favorites too they're they're always tied to something else you know they're part of a franchise they're a remake of an old movie you know they're a sequel or a prequel and even even some of the ones that you wouldn't think and and so i thought it'd be kind of fun to uh you know throw around some i i, even, I made up a list okay of, uh, you know some some of my favorite standalones and predictably a lot of them are coming from the 1980s which i guess <laughs> Being a middle-aged Gen Xer is just going to be the way it's going to be. I, I, um, I'm. It's unfortunate that from now on, our, our we're, we're described as middle-aged Gen Xers. Like there's nothing else interesting. Like that's I that's mean, our distinguishing. We can almost change the name feature. of the podcast. But yeah. So what what do you got? What do you throw out? A couple? So well, one of the first ones I put down was Inner Space because that's just one of my favorite movies. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um which I know I've talked about before. I would love to do kind of a deep dive on that movie sometime, um, but I'll just, I'll just mention it here. Um, maybe the best one on the list is E.T., mm. which is, you know, I have still that one on my list too. Just, yeah, yeah. I mean, even it's been, it's been a little over a year now since I saw E.T. in IMAX with a couple of my nieces over at the, the Centerville Megaplex. And, you know that still might be my my best movie going experience, maybe like in the last five years, like maybe almost certainly since since COVID. That was that was amazing. It's um, it's magical. It is. Yeah, uh, I mean, for the sake of getting out of the eighties, I put down Gravity. I put down Edge of Tomorrow. I put down uh, Super Eight. Um, what, what did you come up with? What, uh, yeah, so I'll tell you a couple, um, well, more than a couple, but I'm going to start with the newer one. So I, I, about seven years ago, I rented a movie at Redbox right after I finished watching it. I couldn't wait to show it to Holly. Cause I guess I just watched it that night and we had the two day, two or three day rental. And so we watched it again the next night. So I watched this movie twice or two nights. It's Arrival. Uh, it's okay. a Geneville new movie with. Amy Adams and it was one of those movies that yep. I haven't really done that a lot. I'm not the kind that when I watch a movie I immediately want to re rewatch it again. I actually did that with The Godfather yeah. 2 the first time I watched it, which is was a lot. It was a long night. Like I didn't I'll bet. me and my friend. Oh, you did you did it back to back that we night. We did it back to back that night. Yeah, we watched this wow. movie. It was around the time of graduation in high school, me and a few buddies and we got done with it and immediately just started again. I was like that was really? amazing. And for some reason, I'm really wired. <laughs> so I watched six and a half hours of movie. Um, but anyway, with Arrival... You were, you were flying on Mountain Dew. I don't know. I, I, I would never do that again. It could be the greatest <laughs> film ever made. I'm, you know, I'm happy to watch it and go to bed. But like, I... Um, which it actually is one of the greatest movies. But anyway, with Arrival, this is a science fiction original that was... Um, it's about a woman who is hired by the U.S. Army as a linguist. She's a linguist mm -hmm. to go and help translate or interpret this 
these aliens that have this alien ship has landed in Montana, not really landed, sort of hovering above the ground. They hover, yeah. And then there's a bunch of ships around the world, and they call these aliens heptopods, and they don't know what they're saying because they're communicating with this weird kind of language where they they shoot. It's ink. like a Rorschach. It's test, like a Rorschach right? test, like these circular yeah uh, symbols that look like palindromes, and they can't really figure out what they mean, but they. You know, so they hire the best of the best, which is this linguist, to try to figure it out. And the main goal is to, you know, they want to know what, what the aliens are saying, but like, are they, do they have good intentions or are they ill-intentioned? You know, like, are they going to attack? And the word weapon gets used, but do they mean tool? So anyway, um, so just that in and of itself, like this premise I've described is interesting, I think, as a sci-fi yeah. movie. Okay, you could make a movie out of that. But then the layers that this movie goes to with flashbacks of events, whether they're in the future or the past, and how this language is actually sort of a vehicle to perceive time in a new way, mm. um, it, it was just mind-boggling. So good. Yeah. And I, uh, it's still my favorite Villeneuve movie, and he's done a lot of great, great movies, um, like one that was supposed to come out this month that's now going to come out in March of 2024, Dune Part 2. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that one is on there. That's an original. Nice. No remake, no reboot. Um, nice. Okay, let me see. I Well, okay, so another one that I put on there, but I realized it broke the rules. This is an old kind of a B movie, but I think it's a really wonderful okay. underrated movie from 1956 called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, now there yeah, are yeah, yeah. there are remakes of it, so there are at least two that I can think. There's of. at least two, and I haven't seen any of them, but I know there's one with Donald Sutherland in the '80s, and uh, there's a new one, right? In the last 10 yeah, years or so, so so I think I think the most celebrated one is the Donald Sutherland one, and like uh, Leonard Nimoy is in it. Mm. Um, I want to say that was like '78, yeah, when it came out. But it, it, when I look at these lists, like of, you know, best sci-fi movies, it usually comes up as, as a little more, a little more featured and praised than, than the original one with, uh, McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy? Wait. Yeah. Didn't he who played, who played a house? supporting role in inner space. Anyway. Um, yeah. Kevin McCarthy But then there was, did? then there was another movie. Yeah. Oh. He's the main guy. Kevin McCarthy is like the main guy in body snatchers yeah he's, he's the, well he's the he donald sutherland role yeah he's the doctor and then but then he's the bad guy in inner space oh okay um and then the invasion came out probably 15 years ago give or take mm -hmm. with nicole kidman and that's i mean i think those are the only like explicit remakes i mean they're i'm sure that the the concept has probably been remade several times. Well, but the concept is interesting because there are a few things that reminded me of. One of them was the zombie movies, like Night of the Living Dead, because there right. is a scene in this movie where, because what really the, the story is, these pods, these alien pods have come down to Earth and they sort of plant as seeds. And then through time, they, they grow into a human sort of, duplicate like a replica of another human uh -huh. and and they can fool everybody else around them and then like they can take over entire towns because they can just replace all the humans with replicas of humans that look just like them but mm -hmm. they don't really act all the way human like they have they're not they don't have the same emotions as a human and 
but they can have their oh i just i just thought of one oh did you ever see world's end no it's the it's it's considered part of a trilogy even though they're not really related it's oh the edgar the, wright is it edgar yeah, wright yeah yeah so there's shawn of the dead i've seen the other two world's end yep and world's yeah. end is basically a body snatchers premise okay but it's it's got it's it's totally different i'll have story. to see that one yeah i loved hot fuzz and and shawn of the dead so i probably would like world's end but anyway yeah so that reminded me of it because there's a scene where a, a couple of the characters who have not been yet replaced by these body these pod people who are, have to act like they're pod people they have to walk out and mm-hmm. like act emotionless <laughs> so that reminded me of like a zombie movie yeah i don't remember if it's one of the sequels of night of the living dead but um and then there's uh oh nightmare on elm street Sort of the, a modern horror, not modern, but you know, from the 1980s horror film, where the way that they become come pod on, people, man, that has that has like a dozen sequels. No, 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 no I'm not We're saying that. that I'm not saying talking. that is one of my movies. I, what I'm saying is, when I look at Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they have to stay awake. They can't fall asleep, or oh, they okay. get taken over by the pod people. And so that's gotcha. what made me think of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm is not a sci-fi. <laughs> I don't even care about that movie. In fact, I don't think I've seen it all the way through but my point is like i I don't i don't think i've seen any of those all the way through this movie is much more original and interesting and just good than i think people give it credit for because it's the exact kind of movie that when you just look back on it you think of a a black and white 1950s sci-fi movie like this it's just Uh a b movie it just gets tossed away as like uh that's just a cheapo you know saturday afternoon matinee but i think it's a legitimately good movie um so okay here's another one so yes, just to be clear, okay, you, Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street is not on my list. Um, okay. Minority Report. So okay. This, yeah, th- I saw that one on the list. Yeah, this is one that I, I've mentioned this before, probably a few times, because we've done our Spielberg and Tom Cruise episodes, and I just yeah. I love this one. So don't need to go into it a whole lot. Um, but yeah, two thousand two. Predicting pre-crime. Right, pre-crime. Um, so many little touches that I loved, like the VR simulation rooms Mm -hmm. and like the spider robots that can scan and identify people and the targeted ads like you walk into a store because you know how we now have targeted right which which is probably the creepiest part of the whole movie right right? because like that's the one thing that is the most spot on is the fact that everywhere you go somebody's paying attention and trying to customize your world to sell you stuff it's true and the weird thing is it's we're probably not that far from it because there's a scene in in minority report where somebody walks into a mall and then there's this yeah it's either a hologram or just on a video screen there's a woman there that's like hey john well mr anderton how do you like those uh but but no because isn't isn't it i could be wrong isn't it after he gets his eyes swapped so that he can hide his identity and so when he goes out he starts getting oh you're right uh, he gets asked from the person whose eyes for for the other dude yeah so whoever so the original person's eyes like that guy starts getting all the ads and like they're not for tom cruise right so it's almost as if there are (laughs) retinal scanners just everywhere out in society yeah not just like on you know like on you go into a door where you have to go get some top secret, whatever, like in Mission Impossible. They're just everywhere. They're just all yeah. everywhere. So, yeah. Um, here are a few others I like. I'll just briefly mention. Big fan of Signs, another 2002 movie. Okay. Shyamalan, I love that. Interstellar, we've talked about that before. Nolan. Um, yeah, there were a few Nolan mentioned ones. Uh, Inception. Yep, Inception. And then there's a movie called Gattaca from the 90s that oh, I was a big fan of. Oh, that's a good of. one. 
they almost is That's more like a film noir kind of mystery yeah, yeah. but it's a very sci-fi futuristic movie where um you can basically develop you uh, you can what's the word like pre-program the birth through through well, genetic yeah i mean it's a, a, it's a perfect, custom yeah um, genetic design right genetic design to where your baby doesn't have isn't prone to diseases or genetic yeah. so anomalies if you're, so if you're born outside of that world you kind you're of sort get of stuck off. as like a yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that was but, cool uh, uh, but ethan hawk here's ethan hawk again right he, he wants to he <laughs> wants to be one of the cool people he wants to have a future and so doesn't he he like he pays jude law to to use his dna to kind of get accepted to some to be a be an astronaut some, essentially yeah, yeah yeah it's cool it's a great movie it a good, no it's a good movie uma it's thurman's a good movie. in it um yeah i like the look i i like that jude law and uma thurman are in it because of it's this futuristic like sort of perfect human society they're like physical human specimens that you just don't see right <laughs> even ethan right. hawk who's supposed to be flawed you know physically um but it's a great movie and then uh Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is one yep, that you yeah, drafted. Yeah, I put that one down too. Spielberg. Um, and then a few others. I guess I can't really mention them because they're obviously like The Matrix and Alien, so I won't mention those. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely don't not, mention those. <laughs> they're, they're don't, don't bring those plenty up. of sequels, but yeah. So you, so you want to know a crazy one Yeah. that, that doesn't qualify is 2001. Okay. Yeah, I had Space that written Odyssey. down, but it doesn't qualify... Why? Because of because, because there's a sequel. Because there's a sequel. Yeah. And the, and the sequel actually was written. You know, there was a, there was a book by Isaac Asimov. Mm -hmm. So it's not just kind of like a a sad knockoff. In fact, if you if you haven't seen 2010, subtitle the year we make contact. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a good movie. It's it is dramatically different in terms of tone and style. Like the Kubrick 2001 is. It, it really does stand alone. Oh, yeah. But it, 2010, is it was a good... Did you ever see it? I've, it's really I've never fantastic. seen 2010, no. It's uh, Roy Scheider mm -hmm. is in it. He plays kind of the main uh, the main character. And, and the idea is like nine years after the events of the first film, uh, they send out this kind of a... Not a rescue mission because they just kind of assume that everybody's dead. Um, but they send kind of this reclamation investigation crew and it's half Americans and half Soviets. And so they're kind of playing off of the cold war thing. And, uh, Helen Mirren is one of the, the Russian, one of the Soviet astronauts. Um, John Lithgow is in it. I mean, it's really got a great cast. Mm. And, and so they fly out there to kind of inspect. And, and so they find the discovery and it's still in orbit around Jupiter. And they want to investigate and say, well, you know, what happened to the crew? What happened with Hal, the computer? Um, and, you know, one thing leads to another. And it's, it's really good. I mean, if, if you're just straight up comparing it to 2001, it's going to suffer because, you know, it doesn't have kind of the same Kubrick vibe and, and the same, you know, cinematography and stuff. But just kind of, if you look at it on its own, it's a good little movie. Um, it, but uh, but it disqualifies 2001. So yeah. If you were to group like sci-fi movies, because I was trying to figure out ways to, different ways to categorize them. So one way I thought of was alien versus non-alien. And I don't know if that's okay. about a 50-50 thing, but like sci-fi movies featuring aliens and then sci-fi movies that have nothing to do with aliens. But then there's also yeah. space movies that 
maybe take place in space that are sci-fi movies, but they're not really about aliens or the you know yeah. they don't meet any aliens like maybe like Gravity or Ad Astra, which is mm-hmm. another good movie from the last few years that I I saw with uh, Brad Pitt. Wait, Ad Astra? That's the Brad Pitt one, right? right? Yeah, I didn't like that one. Yeah, I liked it, but I uh, I didn't put it on my list because I don't think it's one of the great one of the great ones. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I mean, to, going back to two thousand one, I mean, I've a lot of all that I've read about movies, and it's not a movie I've like revisited or rewatched a lot. I think I've seen it once in my life. Um, not only is that considered maybe the preeminent sci-fi film, many critics and and writers have that as like one of the top films of all time. Sure. And it's it's not I it's not for everybody. I feel like I mean, it has very very long slow stretches. Oh, yeah. Famously slow. I remember, I remember a buddy of mine and I, we rented it when uh-huh. we were teenagers and we tried to watch it, just the two of us on a Saturday night, just hanging out. <laughs> and and we were both out. Like, we just, just completely, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. <laughs> Fantastic movie, but you really have to get the right conditions for it. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is a ponderous, uh, very methodical is that the nice way of saying slow? Patient. I hear patient a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, there's a, I think it's Roger Ebert tells a story about Rock Hudson, like just storming out of the theater, running up the aisle, just saying, what the, what the hell is this garbage or something like that? You know, just so mad at the movie, like visibly angry at this movie that everybody's just lauding as this new step in film, you know. But yeah, it was a pretty, and, and you think about 1968, I mean, that's pretty groundbreaking for Kubrick to do yeah, that. Yeah, no, it Nine years fantastic. before Star Wars, you know. Um, okay, so here's, here's, I don't know if we call it a curveball. It's definitely a standalone. But my question for you is, would you consider this a sci-fi movie? Do you remember War Games? Yeah. With Matthew Broderick? Um. I don't want to, but I don't know if I have an argument against it because the computer, well, I guess I mean, so. it's basically like this sentient computer, yeah. right? Yeah, it's that a sentient is, that computer. Is designed AI is... to do, you know, play war games in order to determine yeah. strategies for thermonuclear war and all this. And it kind of gets confused and, and confuses reality and, and, fiction and simulation and okay, I don't know. So I mean, I see, whether it qualifies or not, it's a great movie. I see your war games and I raise you Mission Ooh. Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Is that a sci-fi oh, movie? Oh, there we go. I mean, these, I these think... MI espionage movies, even the Bond movies, if you think about it, there's always a little hint of sci-fi. Well, especially Moonraker. Well, yeah, more than a hint, I guess. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I think sci-fi is so, it could be such a broad category because even when I, again, I'm trying to categorize it and yeah. some movies that I look up, well, it's like sci-fi horror, sci-fi action, sci-fi thriller, like Jurassic Park or, you know, because uh, yeah. sometimes I don't oh, even, I would, I would I would say Jurassic Park is science fiction for sure. Right. But also didn't uh, meet our criteria tonight. Right. But right. like Back to the Future. That's sci-fi, right? I mean, time travel oh, movies are always sci-fi. Like, um, what else did I? I put down the thing. I mean, that's an alien, so that's got. Isn't that a re a, a remake? But it is yeah. right, so it doesn't qualify because it is it is a remake, and then they remade it again. It's a remake of a Howard Hawks movie, if I remember mm-hmm. right, which I also haven't seen. 
I so need this, this, this was thing. a this was a funny one. I I would not have thought of this, but I guess it technically qualifies. Repo Man. I you remember Repo Man? No, I've this, heard the this name. Is another eighties one, yeah. very much a cult movie. Um, it's uh, uh, oh, now I'm forgetting his name. Emilio Estevez when he was super young. Um, he gets a job as a repo man and he's, he's working under kind of the, the tutelage of really famous actor just passed away a couple of years ago. I think oh, he's been in so much stuff and I can't remember his name. Um, but there is kind of a subplot about like this alien technology that's in the trunk of a car that gets repossessed. And so technically it's sci-fi, even though you wouldn't really think of it that way. Hmm. How about, do you, you remember, did you ever see The Last Starfighter? Yeah, I like that. That was a fun one. That yeah, was a fun, fun movie, movie. yeah. Yeah, that, that was that a post. Qualifies. That was an 80s movie, right? Like mid 80s? Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's one I want to say, I, I think of kind of the 83 to 86 stretch as kind of my prime drive-in movie era mm-hmm. as a kid. My mm-hmm. family was, we, we spent a lot of time going out to like the Redwood Drive-In when I was, when I was uh, that age. And I'm pretty sure that Last Starfighter was one of the many movies that we saw at the drive-in. Um, that, was, that one was fun. Enemy Mine, kind of a, a lesser known sci-fi one. Dennis Quaid, and I wanna say Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, I've heard about uh, that movie. So, so Dennis it Quaid is like a human. It's on a foreign planet, right? Yeah, yeah. like these two, these two warring species uh, you know, the, the aliens played by Lewis Gossett Jr. The human is played by Dennis Quaid and they crash land on basically the same planet and they are forced to work together in order to survive. Um, it's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, the Martian, uh, they live was a, was a kind of another cult favorite. Um, we mentioned district nine, didn't we? Oh, we didn't. I forgot. I was going to mention that. That was a, that was a cool movie. Yeah, that's another yeah. example for me, anyway, of like a just a, a unique kind of new vision that you just don't yeah. see very often. And and it's cool because it has a little commentary on like uh, I don't know how immigrants are treated and how we um, how assimilation occurs. I think and mm-hmm. you know otherism because of 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 sort of this human alien sort of hybrid thing that's going on and it's it's a cool just weird movie um that was about 10 years i don't know 12 13 years ago probably. it's been a while but it was i think it was, yeah, it was good i mean i i almost kind of see it in the same light as the creator in that it's this very comprehensive kind of world building exercise that has some really fantastic effects. I mean, I don't know that I would quite put the creator's effects on the same level as District 9, um, but they're both really good. Uh, okay, so yeah, I just looked it, it up. Same year as Avatar. It was 09. Oh, was it 09? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Avatar definitely doesn't qualify. Uh, Ugh. Okay, won't go there. How about, uh, you remember Soylent Green? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I know the you famous know line from that. You don't want to give away the most I famous can, line because it's a spoiler your, line. I know. Yeah. Your eyes are 
visibly rolling. Well, no, I, it's it's just this Avatar hate. It just, you just have so much hate for this movie. That's I. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was about Soylent Green. No, no, no. Soylent Green is fine. I was just going back to that. I was thinking like, man, this is the most... It may be considered the most, I'm going to call it the, the most successful two-film franchise in history, Avatar wow. and Avatar 2. And I feel like maybe that's part of the reason why you, you don't like it. Because you feel like, well, it's so clearly overrated because it just right. has made billions and billions I mean, of dollars. But I think No, I think that's good. that that's the crux of it. I yeah. mean, that's really the idea is that these movies are perfectly fine. They are, they are interesting. They have some, some cool effects. They're just not but worth making I, like there $2 is billion. No, right. Yeah. There is no reason in the world I can see to justify why those movies would make or so three. much more than. I guess it's you know. a combination of like four and a half billion or something. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, it's probably too much, but I still think they're much better than average movies. Well, I, ha- I, I need to watch the second one. Dang it. I have so many movies to watch. Ah, <laughs> so hard. Life can be so tough, you know. Anyway. Adult responsibilities. You're, you're, you're saying your your middle age adult responsibilities are weighing you down. Uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Any other? Uh, we, we leave anything else out? Um, I mean, not that this is any kind of a comprehensive list. No, not a comprehensive list. But there's some interesting smaller movies too that you just that it's fun to champion, like Primer or Primer. Primer, uh, yeah. That one is a. So, you know, time travel slash sci-fi that, movie. That one and Coherence, I usually see cited as like the most accurate time travel movies. Mm-hmm. But they're also just spectacularly difficult to follow, especially Primer. Yeah. To the point where, I don't know, I I completely acknowledge that there is a... You know, a segment of the the movie watching audience that really enjoys, you know, some, something like Tenet, where you have to just watch it over and over again and unpack it and go backwards and forwards. For me, after a certain point, I don't. You don't want to. Not, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I saw Tenet during COVID. This was the big COVID release that Nolan took yeah. a chance on, and I didn't like it. I was baffled. I didn't understand at least half the movie. I mean, I was squinting and trying to listen and I was pretty angry, but I remember saying to myself, well, I'm going to watch that as soon as I can. I'm just going to watch that at home with subtitles. Still haven't done it. You know, I guess I just have a lot better things to do in the last. No. And I think, I think that's it is that I, I don't know. There, there, I, I recognize that there was a lot going on and I recognize that, oh, okay, well, if I probably watch this a few times, it'll make more sense, but I don't care enough to make that much effort. Yeah. So did you ever see a Donnie Darko? I did. I did. So um, I can't remember which version I've seen because isn't there, isn't that one of those ones that has like director's cuts and different deleted scenes and different stuff? Yeah. There's a uh, Richard Kelly think he was the yeah. director director's version and i i don't know which one i've seen either but an interesting just weird yeah uh i don't know movie that um i remember one time we were i was like my son who at the time was maybe like five or six kind of crawled into bed and i was just looking on my phone i was showing holly and i pulled up a picture of the rabbit you know the creepy dark rabbit yeah, right. from donnie darko 
Uh, and I, it was on my phone and my son saw it and he instantly burst into tears. Like just oh, seeing no. that scene just made him oh, cry. God. Not even a scene, just like a still <laughs> from the movie. And, you know, my wife was kind of mad at me and I'm like, I had no idea that he would have that reaction. But it is kind of a frightening sure. image, right? Of this rabbit that just looks like Satan. Yeah. So Okay, um, so unrelated but unrelated. Go ahead. Yeah. Did you know that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays a very, very small supporting role as as Billy Crystal's son in City Slickers. I did not know that. Yep. The great sci-fi classic. The great sci-fi epic. <laughs> the, sci- the sci-fi western with Jack Palance <laughs> and, and various aliens. Uh, City Slickers. Hey, in all seriousness, fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Re- I rewatched it about two weeks ago and it is still a fun, sweet little inspired movie. So, okay. so no sci-fi, but uh, you know, just tossing out recommendations here. Yeah, might it's, as well. It's always nice when a movie that you've seen a long time ago still holds up, because unfortunately, there have been movies that I remember fondly as a kid, even you know, TV shows and stuff that I, I watch them again and just think, you wonder. I must have just been watching this with childlike wonder, and. And, and yeah, and you're just no. it just doesn't hold up. <laughs> well we just we just rewatched it's been years for me, at least ten or twelve years. We watched Amadeus this last week and I I loved it every bit as much. I noticed that both versions of Amadeus are on Prime. There's I know. the original one yep. and then there's the director's cut, which is rated R I st- and even longer. I still can't bring myself to watch the director's cut because the, the original version for me is already a perfect movie. I feel like oh, any fantastic. change, displace one note, you know, like 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 Salieri says about Mozart's music, like it would become imperfect, right? And so I don't want to yeah. watch any other version. I've heard that they add a scene where it explains the more complicated relationship between Constanzi and Salieri, so Mozart's wife, okay. and then the, the oh, jealous okay. composer. And she is in an attempt to... She like bears her breast to him, basically. So there's like a flashing okay. of a breast scene to him, and then I don't remember if he even what he does, but it's like very quick. But that's the whole reason why the director's cuts rated R. And there's a few more minutes. I don't know, another ten or fifteen yeah. minutes. But well, I just it's already I, a I long remember, movie to the PG version. Doesn't the thing? The thing I remember now. Granted, I, this is a really good movie, and I would absolutely love to rewatch it. But one of the things that stands out in my memory about Amadeus is how, and I think it's his wife, calls him like, Wolfie? Wolfie, yeah. Wolfie? That's his nickname. You know, it's like, yeah, like Wolfie. his Wolfgang. Yeah. But the way she says it, she's like, Wolfie? Wolfie? <laughs> that's it's what I great, remember. Yeah, that's a great movie. Her. And that's the other thing is if it, the director's cut had a lot more interesting things in it, maybe, than just like like a nude scene or whatever. I'm sure I would, you know, give it a go, but it's. It's, but I'm glad they have both versions too. I guess for people who want to yes. see something different. Um, but yeah, I have I have the original one on DVD. It's one of those old ones you have to like that has two of them. You have to turn it over. Oh no! <laughs> it's like a, I think it was when they very first started making DVDs. I got it. Wow! One of the it's one of the very first DVDs I got. But that's anyway. That's ancient history, man. The first DVDs. You, uh, well. <laughs> I mean, I'm I come from the time of VHS. I still have a lot of VHS. That's right. That's right. Um, got a whole box of them for some reason. Right on. Anyway. Okay. Well, we have, we have covered some good ground tonight, my friend, and and 
thanks for joining me and uh, thanks for joining us for the, the listeners who are still uh, keeping up with us. And if you haven't already, please take the time to subscribe, to follow, to like, to do whatever the little social media options are that are, that are good and uh, will help us out. We really appreciate that. Um, take good care of yourselves. And next time around, I don't know what we're going to be talking about because I know there's stuff coming out, but, uh, well, I think the writer strikes wrapping up. I don't think the actor strike is, so we'll see what happens. Exciting times ahead. Take care. Thank you.